Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. Well, this is a big moment here on Open Mic. We've had big time players, we've had head coaches, we've had an assistant who's probably going to be a head coach soon. We have not had a general manager. Uh, we now have Las Vegas general manager, Dave Ziegler. Hello, Dave. Thanks for having me. I'm just, I'm excited to break the, break the barrier here. Be the first GM on this uh, astounding podcast. I mean, this is good stuff. Well, I got to tell you, dude, I'm happy we have you now because, you know, I feel for you. You've, uh, you know, you, you took this job, you and Josh McDaniels, your longtime friend, have attacked it and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, disappointment so far, but I know it's a process. You know, there's been a ton of noise for you guys and the NFL is so crazy now. Um, and, you know, as we we noted, you and I recently off camera, half the teams in your division, you and the Broncos, there's been, you know, hysterical proclamations that everybody needs to get fired. Was it nice when Mark Davis, your owner, came out recently and just said, look, um, I'm supporting Josh. He's going to be back and we're not doing anything crazy here. Yeah, I think so. I I think, you know, like you said, Mike, like this, you know, the, this day and age, that's the reality of it. You know, you're just things can get swept up more into a frenzy quicker, um, you know, with the, with the way that, you know, the, the media is right now and Twitter is and all that stuff. It's just, it's not a knock. It's just a reality. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, I think it was good for the team to hear that um, because there was, you know, because the noise was out there and for Mark to come out and, and support Josh that way and support us that way. Um, I think for the team, it was good. You know, it gave them a sigh of, you know, a little bit of, of a sigh, like, okay, we can, this is this is the direction that we're going and we can buckle down and focus in on what our job is and trying to win football games. And so, 
you know, it was appreciative. And, and I think, you know, it, um, it's beneficial for, for the organization to have that stance of patience too, because the reality is, is when you look at a lot of the teams that have um, sustained winning, which is the ultimate goal, um, for the most part, there's a, there's a huge level of continuity there. And that continuity didn't come without like dips in the road. Do you know what I mean? Or, or a, a, a season that didn't meet expectations to a degree. And so I think that you have to have some, if you're going to give yourself a chance, you hope that you hire the right people one, and then there has to be a level of continuity over time to, to allow that thing to grow roots and actually produce some, you know, some success. And that's a good point because they went through a lot last year uh, in your building. So yes. it prob- probably the last thing they want to hear is something involving upheaval. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you guys went out and made some moves in free agency and, and obviously made the big trade for Devontae Adams. Yeah. Um, and that seemed to signal to a lot of people we're in win-now mode coming off a 10-win season, only the second Raider playoff season in 20 years. But, right. um, you know, a good performance against the Bengals in the playoffs and a nice – 10 and seven season. Um, has it just, has it been harder to get it rolling, you know, out of the gate than you thought? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and, you know, there's probably a lot of different variables you, you can pinpoint um, at the end of the day, like, you know, we haven't won enough. And so none of us have done a, a you know, a good enough, none of us are slapping our, ourselves on the back saying we've done a good job up to that, this point, you know, um, in all the areas that we need. Now we've done a good job in, with specific things in certain areas, but, um, yeah, there's been some, you know, there's been some challenges along the way and, you know, nobody wants to hear excuses and things like that. And so all, any reason that you would give, obviously it looks as an excuse, you know what I mean? Um, but I would say like, there's always the element of, you know, in, in football in general, I think when you're, when you're building the team, um, and whether you're, whether you're new to an organization or not, there's all, always the element of like, if we have the opportunity to improve the team and get a Devonte Adams and improve the team, uh, with a high quality player that fits kind of what we're looking for in terms of the traits and all that stuff, you know, those are opportunities that we want to take advantage of. We're still building a team at the same time. And I think you're always still building a team, but you also want to try to, um, you know, win games. You want to try to win games now too. And, and so you trying to find the balance of, you know, spending and, and, and acquiring players to, um, you know, improve the, improve the team in the immediate future, but also making moves and doing some things on the side to kind of build out a long range because you know, you have to build it. We don't have every single piece, you know, here, it just, that's not how, you know, that's not the reality of the NFL. And so, you know, we lost a bunch of close games, you know, we lost the game to Arizona in overtime. Um, you know, we lost, um, we threw the, threw a couple passes into the end zone against Tennessee trying to win that game. Um, Kansas city, we had a ball, you know, had the ball with a chance to score and we just haven't been able to get it done, you know, quite frankly for, you know, you know, there's every game, there's different reasons why those don't think those things don't happen. But, you know, those, um, you know, when you have those things, it takes a toll too, you know, on your, on your mentals, um, in terms of like, just naturally when you lose those many, you know, quick games and you're, you're also at the same time trying to assimilate a, a bunch of different people together, uh, sometimes a hot start can cover up a lot of different growing pains that you have with the new regime and a new organization. And we've had to go through those here on the front end. Um, and I, you know, what I'm hopeful for, and I think what we're hopeful for is that 
we're, we're able to continue to progress and show some improvement here as we go. And some of that improvement, Mike's going to be seen on the field. Some of it's never going to be seen on the field. Some of it's stuff that's happening in the building, you know, whether it's a, a, about accountability, whether it's about improving the attention to detail in the organization, whether it's, um, you know, building your, your practice habits, the scouting system, how we get you know, um, you know, the emphasis we put on character and background research and how we've changed some of those things. And so I think we're doing a lot of good things um, that are foundational pieces that you have to have to be successful in the NFL, uh, a relationship between a head coach and a GM who are on the same page, who are working together in a harmonious relationship and some of those things. So I think we have a lot of good things that are being built um, that I know you have to have in place to win in the future. Um, we need to do some better things on Sunday um, to, to win football games. And, and that's the reality because that's what everybody wants to see. And that's what you're judged on. And so, you know, we're going to keep, you know, keep pushing and keep being critical of ourselves and keep looking at our processes and how we can improve it and evaluate and evolve as we go. And like, that's like, that's what we have to do. Uh, that relationship that you referenced with Josh McDaniels, that goes back 26 years uh, yeah. to your recruiting trip to John Carroll when he was yeah. a, a freshman wide receiver. Uh, first of all, that's wild. Secondly, uh, what do we remember about the uh, the origin story of you and Josh? Yeah, well, like I'd, I'd always known of Josh because he was, you know, at Camp McKinley and they were this monster program in Northeast Ohio. Uh, that I think his senior year, they'd played Maslin in the hundredth game. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And that was, you know, that was a big deal. And I actually went to, um, they lost to, they lost to Maslin in the hundredth game during the regular season. They played him again at the Akron rubber bowl in the playoffs. And it was 28,000 people were at that game in the rubber bowl. And they actually didn't let, uh, they stopped the crowd from people from coming in um, because of uh, fire codes and things like that. I was at the game as a fan as a high school junior, just watching wow. this game. And so I like, I know who Josh McDaniel is, is just from the notoriety and the, and the, um, the notoriety of the programs and things like that. And so to meet him, when I met him for the first time, um, it was kind of like, you know, it was this known, you know, I was at a small high school. Um, so it was like, oh, that, that's Josh McDaniel. like, he's, he's the dude, you know what I mean? And so it was kind of a little bit of like, um, not starstruck, you know, but like, this is the guy, you know, I, I was at a high school that, you know, we were get 2000 people to go to the game, you know, it was a big night. Um, and so that was pretty cool. And then we kind of just bonded a little bit, just our playing styles. We were both kind of, you know, undersized, scrappy, would go in there and mix it up, talk trash, you know, block to the whistle. And, and we kind of bonded along those lines and, you know, we would talk trash to each other and challenge each other and things like that. So it was kind of a, uh, it was a competitive relationship, but it was, um, you know, a, one that was from back in the day that was built on respect of just how we kind of played and approached the game. And um, so that was, you know, that was kind of the origin of, you know, how we connected and what we connected on. And then, you know, and, and again, it's, it's um, you know, people, a lot of people think Josh and I are like best friends uh, in the sense of like, going on family vacations together and going out to dinner and doing that. It's, it's not necessarily that, I mean, we're close friends. Um, we are close friends, but uh, he had a group of friends. I had a group of friends and, you know, we, we have some limits, some similarities and differences, but the really unique thing I think is just the respect and like the honesty that we're able to have with each other. 
Um, and we've always had that. And now it manifests itself in a really cool way in this environment because he can tell me that, hey, that's a really dumb idea, you know? And uh, I can tell him the same thing, maybe a more colorful language uh, <laughs> at times, but we can do that. And it's not like, you know, you hurt my feelings. I, I hurt his feelings. And so I just really appreciate that and really respect that about the relationship that we have. That's awesome. So I have a little intel on this because at the combine, you and Josh and I sat uh, and talked about this late one night. And according to Josh, uh, you were like the Dante Hall of D3 uh, <laughs> return men. And right. uh, we know you have a lot of school records. You're, you're at a Hall of Fame. Um, and apparently, like, first of all, is it true that you never fair caught a punt? No, I, no, that's not true. I think there in in three years, I think there was two times, there was two instances where I, where I did fair catch a punt, but tried to avoid it at all costs. You miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take, apparently. And you know, well, <laughs> our special teams coordinator was, you know, he said he was like, you know, I wish you would just fair catch it more. And I said, Coach, well, I can't score if I'm doing that. <laughs> so like, I didn't really have any interest in fair catching it because that took the that took scoring out of the equation. Uh, did people stand up at home games like when the other team was about to punt and you were about to catch a punt? Like, was it, oh, here we go? Um, well, I know my parents did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. We didn't have huge crowds at John Carroll, but – uh, I know that we we had a lot of success um, as a unit, punt returns and kick returns. I mean, almost the, the majority of them were big returns. And so, like, there was definitely a level of excitement with the team and, you know, and and, and, the, and the people that were there, that, like something cool could happen. And, um, you know, we, we, we did it often. Now, I covered the Niners in the late 80s and 90s uh, as a beat writer and then as a columnist. So I know Merton Hanks very well, and I'm very familiar with his yeah. celebration. So apparently you were doing the Merton Hanks chicken dance yeah. uh, when you would score. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> That's a true story. I loved <laughs> I did like Merton Hanks, and I liked his celebration. So I incorporated it at the D3 level. Um, to to energy to inject some juice into the environment, I'd break out the the Merton hates the Merton Hanks strut every once in a while after a touchdown. There has to be video, I feel like, uh, and there has to be video, and and in the background of the video, they'll be like, oh hey, that, like you know, tons of NFL <laughs> coaches and personnel people who we all know. Yeah, yeah, maybe even London Fletcher, former player. Oh yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Who was actually um, announced? Who was announced as a semifinalist today for the NFL um, for the Football Hall of Fame? So uh, go out there and support London Fletcher, uh, all you voters out there. Iron Man, most consecutive games ever played, two-time Super Bowl champ, All-Pro, Pro Bowl guy, thousands of tackles every year. Um, he deserves to get in. Totally agree with you, and he, you know, he's one of those guys like Zach Thomas who was told you're too short. Um, you know, among many others, right? Sam yes. Mills yeah. and, uh, you know, oh, Aaron Donald, you know, but <laughs> right. L London Fletcher, you're too short, man. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll just, you know, go be one of the best players of my era. Yeah, I know. Amazing. That's awesome. We have to get into your acting career and then we'll go back to football, but. I understand. It was so illustrious. That's right. So uh, take us through because, you know, you, you you get out of school and you're trying to, to figure out what you want to do and find your way. Yep. And, uh, you know, apparently you are 
you know, you just have a, a gift for, uh, you know, inhabiting other people's personas and convincing an audience that you are someone else. <laughs> uh, that is very um, complimentary. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the way that uh, the way that I got into that, um, my post-college career, I started as a, um, a ninth grade social studies teacher and, and coaching uh, high school football one year in Ohio. And then I moved at, at, out to Arizona and I was a social studies teacher for two more years out there um, at an at-risk high school um, for kids that had been had disciplinaries and stuff issues and things of that nature and coached high school football out there. And so I was on this journey of trying to, you know, figure, like you said, figure out what I was going to do and went back to John Carroll. I coached there for two years. I got my master's degree in school counseling at that time, uh, which has come in handy more often than not in, in, in this job too. And um, I'll, I'll bet. Yeah. And then, um, I ended up at Iona College, which is in um, New Rochelle, New York. Um, and I was living actually in the city at the time. And I was a wide receiver coach there. Uh, it was called like a restricted, they called it restricted earnings. You know, when, when, do not, kids out there, do not take a job with the title restricted earnings. That <laughs> <laughs> um, was restricted. That's one of those you don't tell your parents either. Like you don't right. tell them the exact job title. Exactly. I was restricted to $7,000. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, I was in New York City and basically saw an ad for for an agency that was looking for um, extra, extra work. And I didn't know really, I knew, you know, kind of what it was. I didn't know what it entailed or how little money that you made. Um, but I ended up, you know, going to this agency and, you know, getting getting in line with them, and they would call me for jobs the night before. So I ended up um, in Law and Order, um, the Born Ultimatum, the final episode of The Sopranos. Uh, I was an audience member in a game show called Chain Reaction that was on the Game Show Network, and so um, you know, did a handful of things over a course of probably like three months, and then I realized like this is hard work. Like you're there for like 15, 16 hours a day sometimes. And then it was like $75. And I was trying to just make extra money. I wasn't really, I wasn't trying to make a career in the movie industry. Um, and after a few months, I was like, man, this is this is not cutting it. And so I bailed out of it. But um, yeah, I did have a, probably the, the most noteworthy one was Law and Order because you could actually see me in that one. The other <laughs> ones I was like, maybe a, maybe a blur kind of walking across the, the street, the screen, but yeah, I got to be a reporter in that one. And it was a uh, iced tea and Ludacris was on it because I think it was like a season finale. And, um, I thought I did a pretty good job, um, as a reporter. So, um, that was the, uh, that was my, uh, illustrious acting career. It's good because now when you get ripped by the media, you have empathy because <laughs> you, you've been in that role. Yeah, hundred percent. Did you get to talk to Ice T or Ludacris? I tried. I am a large uh, hip hop and rap fan, and so uh, grew up on Ice T and and Ludacris. You know, and during college and things like that. Yeah, I tried to squeeze in there and kind of start some converse. I just kind of got pushed to the you know pushed to the side. Like, hey, dude, like you're too close to the real actors. <laughs> like, can you move back? You're 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 you know disturbing some people. <laughs> well, you seem to have a knack for finales because you hit that season finale, but I got to stop you because you said Sopranos finale. Yeah. Very, very controversial episode, by the way. Yeah. I would, I would argue the greatest TV show ever. Uh, you know, you could, you, I think Breaking Bad is, has kind of 
you know, gotten up there. There's other ones we could we could argue, but kind of the thing that started it all for you kids out there, TV kind of blew. Movies were cool and TV kind of blew all through the last century. And then the Sopranos came like at the end of the century. And now TV's awesome, basically. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so what what did you do? Uh, what was your what was your blip on the Sopranos? I was a um, I was a guy walking down the street um, is what I was. And so just uh, a random guy. I think I forget what the I forget what the scene actually was. I think the scene led into some not the final thing at the diner where there was a shooting, but some type of some type of shooting that took place. And yeah, I was just um, I was just a random guy walking down the street. So when you would watch these episodes after the fact, would you make like, you know, women you knew or friends or family members like watch with you and be like, there it is. <laughs> I I should have. I didn't because I, I re- quickly realized after I think the born ultimatum one where I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to, um, I'm in this. I'm again, I'm walking down the street and like can never find myself. So I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of others of like, you know, kind of, you know, uh, making this a bigger deal than it was for us to just, you know, not really be able to see my face. So no, I know some of my friends, I think, used it for themselves of like, they knew a guy, I, I have a friend that's an actor, this and that to kind of spur up some conversations. Um, but no, not for myself. I never, I never benefited. Important question. When you watched the Sopranos finale, um, aside from your impressive stint as a guy walking sure. down the street, sure. what, what'd you think? Um, well, the, the ending, I, I, you know, I wanted finality, right? So I wanted to feel like I really, you, you know, I knew what, knew what happened. And, and so I was disappointed in that because I didn't like the open endedness of it. That's just me personally. Agreed. Uh, I, I would have liked to seem like, okay, here's how it, here's uh, 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 after all these years and all these seasons, like this is how it ended. And uh, we didn't get that. And so like, that was disappointing for me. I agree with you. In fact, I think I tweeted like, hey, David Chase, about that Sopranos ending. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. Right. Like, come on, tell me. And also like, I need, you know, it's not, a, it wasn't a subtle show. Like there were amazing subtleties, but like you knew what was going on. So tell us what's going on. I have a I have a controversial take, by the way. I liked the Seinfeld finale, and I may be the only one. I I um I I remember watching it at a friend's house, and um I know she was like oh she was uh, she a friend of mine it was actually a friend of mine and a buddy of mine um they were like all disappointed and, and distraught about the ending, and I was kind of like yeah. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. take offense to it. Yeah, I kind of thought it was great. He's back doing stand up, you know, to make, you know, cracking on his friend from Cell Block C. And, <laughs> yeah, you no know, doubt. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I was okay with it. Could have All been right. worse. Could have been worse, exactly. We've seen worse. All right. Let me do one more non football question because you alluded to it. You were a school guidance counselor, and, I, and those skills are coming in handy now. Um, what, do you have one moment from your career as a guidance counselor where you're like, whoa, this is pretty surreal. Like, how am I in this situation? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I again, I, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to be a downer of any sort, but we dealt with like dealt with some heavy stuff, um, you know, during during the times that during the years that I was a counselor. And so, you know, just a lot of the, the p- problems that, you know, um, kids face today 
um, or a lot of the things that I deal with, whether it was drug addiction um, and having to talk to a family uh, and having someone, uh, you know, having someone have to come clean, you know, uh, of something that they, 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 they had tried to hide, you know, for a period of time and seeing the emotion in the room, you know, when, when those types of things happen uh, was really intense. Had a couple instances where, you know, someone lost someone close to them, uh, both a parent, you know, or or in, and or um, a parent losing a child, and and so you know, there's some really um, some real heavy stuff that um, you know that that I you know went through with with families and and with students and things like that. And again, I think you know, I think Mike, for me, like a, a lot of that stuff uh, helps me now. Um, just from per, from a perspective standpoint, you know, and keeping things in perspective day to day and, uh, you know, like, you know, like don't sweat the small stuff, you know, type of mentality. And and so, uh, you know, I learned, uh, learned a, 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 a lot of things going through those situations and just being a guidance counselor in general. Um, um, but yeah, a lot of those, you know, a lot of those heavy things when you're 20 and, you know, you know, you're 27, 28 years old. And I haven't even experienced those things in my own life. You know, I've very been very fortunate in that way. And so um, those were some really surreal experiences of trying to to lead uh, lead in those in those types of um, circumstances. Let's go back to football. You guys came in, and I kind of was monitoring this because you know I've known you for a while, and I'm I'm root, I'm rooting for you, and. At first, the new league or the legal tampering period starts and there's all these moves getting announced. And listen, I fell into this trap all those years at NFL Network where I would be on TV all the time. We root for naturally aggressiveness and big moves. And it's not always the right thing to root for in retrospect. But I'd rather know that a team is taking swings as opposed to just sitting back. And I used to have the gag where I was – Ted Thompson doing the crossword puzzle and, you know, may he rest in peace. But uh, so in the beginning, you didn't do anything for, I don't know how, it wasn't that long, but it wasn't that long. It felt like like three weeks. I think it was like 48, 48 hours. Yeah. So 48 hours of nothing for the Raiders and people were freaking. They were like, Oh my God, what are these guys doing? Are they going to do anything? Because the rest of your division was popping. And then all, and then all of a sudden here came Dave Ziegler wheeling and dealing. So yeah, just take me through how, how you experienced those first 48 hours and and what happened afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Like you said, there was, you know, there was a lot of moves being made, you know, for, from the other teams in our division. And, you know, we, we, we were, um, you know, again, I'd say strategically trying to be, you know, trying to be patient. It wasn't that we weren't like doing anything at all. We were doing things. Some of those things didn't come to fruition because the price of doing business got too high, um, in certain circumstances. And so, um, yeah, my, I, and I told the story, like my friends were like hammered me with a bunch of the stuff that was on Twitter, like me in a clown face. And there's probably some more of those out there right now, actually. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, asleep at the wheel of a car and all this different stuff. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I knew that the, I knew that the heat was out there, but you know, you're just trying to look for, you know, look for the right situation. And then the Devonte Adams thing, uh, you know, came, um, came to fruition. It looked like it was something that we were going to be able to do that organizationally we felt was a good decision. And, um, so that was the first one, which really wasn't a free agency thing. It was just, it was during the period of free agency. 
Um, and so, you know, that came together and, um, you know, a handful of other moves. And I'd say like, like you said it, like the reality is, is you don't really want to be a big player in free agency. Um, a lot of times when you're a bigger, big player in free agency, it's because of, you know, either um, roster holes that you have because of prior free agent signings that didn't work out, or most likely it's because the drafts haven't went your way over a period of time. And so because that core group of young players hasn't, hasn't developed uh, within your organization, you have to go out and fill those holes in free agency. And so um, I would say like what, what really we want to be, what, what really, where we really want to be at is not being, you know, taking a, ho a whole bunch of aggressive swings in free agency. I think where you really want to be is taking calculated swings in free agency. It doesn't make your, I'm not saying you don't make a big signing, but it's calculated for your team and you're not really trying to fill out the roster in free agency. And um, we're, we, we're in that cycle right now and it's going to take us a little, um, a little bit of time in terms of drafting um, you know, uh, Las Vegas Raiders and building that young core where we're not in it. Um, but yeah, there is an element of excitement when you're doing it, um, that you can, you know, that, that you get caught up in and that you enjoy, um, cause there's some juice there, you know, when you're making these signings and you're feeling like improving the team, but like you said it, a lot of times you, you know, these teams that take these big swings and have all these signings and free agency, you get to later in the year and, Oftentimes they didn't come to fruition and that's natural because you're taking a lot of people that were uh, raised in another organization um, that grew up in another system, different coaches and things like that. And you're trying to put all those pieces together and just roll with them. It's not that easy as um, you know, historically we found out. That's yeah, a good point. And you, uh, you spent all those years in new England, which, you know, had, has had 20 plus years of sustained success, you know, freakish, uh, unprecedented. And, um, you know, a lot of times people like me would get frustrated and say, Hey man, you got Tom Brady, go out and get everybody. And, you know, you did it in 2007 and that predated you, but Randy Moss and yep. Wes Welker and them. And then other years it didn't happen. Uh, a couple years ago, coming off that rough season, the Patriots kind of went wild at free agency. And I was like, John U. Smith. I love John U. Smith. I just thought that was the greatest signing ever. So far, hasn't proven to be. And then, you know, Matthew Judon, I was like, yeah, I could see that, but he really is, hasn't been a sack guy. And again, I was wrong on that so far. He's been a huge impact player. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, I, I think, you know, having, I guess you having been in New England for all those years with Bill, does that make you more prone to say, let's set our value and look for value as opposed to try to win the the hearts of the Mike Silvers on TV uh, in March. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and I think like you said it, that sustained success um, that they've had in new England is what um, a lot of people strive for. And that's what we're striving for. And a lot of teams across the league are striving for um, that sustained, that sustained success. And, and so, yeah, I learned a lot during that time of like, you know, patience, building your roster through the draft Um you know, or alternative ways, you know, whether it's a trade or whether it's a guy off a practice squad or a player that was cut from their team and things like that. And um, just being calculated in free agency and, and, and trying to find the right guy that fits a specific role for your team. And, 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 and when there's an opportunity to strike, um, you know, at one point while I was in New England, we signed Gilmore, you know, stuff on Gilmore to, to a big deal at the time. Uh, and, and, and he was the right player. He was a young player. 
You know, he, he, we invested in a, a young player that was, I think, you know, 25, 26, was still ascending, really good character traits, uh, really good football traits. And um, those guys are few and far between in free agency. Those guys usually don't get to free agency um, in a lot of cases. And so uh, that was a really smart signing by Bill at the time, and it proved to be really valuable for New England. So, again, there's a balance there. I don't want to say that you don't do anything. Um, I just think you want to be, you, you know, you want to be calculated. And, 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 and we were able to do that in New England because there was a lot of years um, where there was a lot of good drafts, the McCordys. High Towers, Jamie Collins, you know, going back for way farther from when I was there, Vince Wilfork. And, you know, there was a lot of these poor, poor players that were there where you didn't have to feel like you were going to free agency to build your team. That's a great point. Well, one of the things you did uh, in Vegas is you identified some core players and, and extended them and paid them. Uh, Derek Carr, obviously the, the biggest of the names, but Max Crosby, who, you know, is obviously we notice him. Yeah. Um, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. Uh, you know, what was your thinking behind those moves? Yeah, I think just what you said, we're, you know, there was an opportunity there. Those guys all really productive or had been productive in past seasons. And so, um, you know, it was, it was an opportunity we felt to to kind of get this nucleus of offensive players in Carr, in, in Renfro and Waller uh, that had been here. And, and then Max on the defensive side, who was a young player, um, who's still kind of who's he's obviously still ascending and so it was an opportunity we felt like to kind of get this uh, you know a core group of players together that had worked together that had played together um that had built some continuity together and and have them uh you know and, and kind of you know um nail those guys down um as foundational pieces it's been you know the game of football you can't predict what's going to happen from injuries and that stuff and for for us it hasn't really it hasn't come together at this point because um we you know hunters dealt with some injuries darren's dealt with some injuries and we really haven't had the opportunity um i think and i think we talked about this i think you know between um darren derek josh jacobs um Devante, like those guys have only been on the field together for, you know, under 70 snaps this year. And so we haven't really been able to build the continuity that we hope to build, um, you know, because of the natural parts of the game, because of injuries. And you're going to deal with that at different times. And, you know, it's it's everybody deals with it. But, you know, that's been unfortunate, you know, in terms of what we were hoping to have together and what how it's come together here during the season. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. 
you think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. You know, I've watched Derek kind of bleeding all over the place publicly after some of these defeats. I know he cares so much, and he's yeah. he's been through a lot with the organization, different regimes, different coaches, um, a lot of losing, a couple of winning seasons, and he's done a lot of really good things. Um, where What are your guys' thoughts organizationally about your quarterback right now? I think you you hit a lot of it. Uh, just the one thing about Derek is he's, he's just high character, um, hard not to like Derek Carr um, as a human being, as a, as a person, because um, one, he's a good person. Two, he's very passionate about football. He's, you know, he is passionate about the Raiders. Like you said, he's been through a lot of things during his time here. And, um, you know, he's done a really nice job of, uh, of again, he's uh, of learning our system. Then I'll, I'll, I'll go back. He's had a lot of offensive coordinators throughout his career too. And he's been forced to learn, um, a lot of new systems while playing one of the hardest positions in professional sports. And so, um, you know, there's, there's, there's growing pains with that when you have to learn a new system and he's done a good job, I think of, of being patient and learning the system. It hasn't been seamless. It hasn't been, you know, a, a perfect, uh, a, a perfect, um, process, which it shouldn't be. I don't think it is. It's not for anybody, um, when you're learning something new. And so he's done a really good job of, of, um, uh, of learning the system, 
uh, creating relationship with Josh, working through some of the, you know, the kinks that come, come with learning a new system and then having to go produce it on the field with a bunch of new players too, might mind you, you know, there's a lot of new players on offense uh, that we signed, uh, you know, based on a lot of expiring contracts that were, that were in place when we came in. And so, um, you know, he's done a good job in just that, that assimilation process you saw in this week battle um, in overtime and come through with an overtime victory, which he's done quite, quite often in his career. And so, um, you know, we're just, we're just continuing to progress forward and, you know, learn each other and take some of the small steps that we need to take to continue to build something here. And you've gotten a lot of production from Josh Jacobs. Uh, one of the moves you made was not picking up his fifth year option, which I think sometimes in the NFL people freak out about that, yeah. not knowing it's, you know, it's an appreciable rise and it doesn't mean necessarily, Oh, this guy's gone. It just means we haven't seen the value yet. Potentially um, some players though, kind of go into a, a shell. He seems to have done the opposite and, and just come out running, uh, running angry or whatever. Uh, has he, has he played his way into a different uh, place organizationally? Yeah. I think like you said, there was, um, you know, there's an element of, of getting to know the player as a person and getting to know the player on the, you know, on the field too. And, 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 you know, as well as I know the running back position, uh, it's a tough, it's one of the toughest positions to play in football. Uh, it's tough on the player's bodies. Uh, you know, you've seen, you know, we've seen different examples of players kind of rise and fall, um, you know, quickly at the running back position. And, and so, um, you know, there's a, there's an element of there's a, I think there's an element across the NFL, not just here across the NFL of kind of being cautious, you know, with some of those things. And uh, Josh is just like you said it. He's done really a remarkable job of how he's handled it, because you can you can go two different ways with that. And um, Josh has really just been laser focused on improving, um, taking our coaches, taking the coaching points that the coaches have uh, given to him on ways that he can improve. And he's also been just, he's like really talented, uh, but his ball security has really improved this year. That's something that um, we really wanted to focus on with him. And, and he's done a good job uh, of taking those coaching points, his pass protection, his route running. Um, he's taken his, he's taken his game to a, I think to a, a different level this year in just terms of balancing it out. And then the kid that the kid in himself, he comes, he comes to work every day. He practices very hard. He's very um, diligent about taking care of his body. Um, he's not a, he's not a, uh, you don't hear him very often. He's not a, a loud personality, um, but he's just, he's just dialed in and focused every day. I just really enjoy seeing him work, seeing his professionalism. Um, he's out there every day. He's in, he doesn't come out during the game. He wants the ball consistently. And so it's been awesome to see. It's been awesome to get to know him. He's a, he's a good young man. He's still young, still young too. Uh, you know, he's been in the league for a while. He's like 24, 25 years old because he came in so young. And so um, he's done a really good job. And and I think, yeah, we've all been impressed with what he's done this year. I keep picturing that scene in Jerry Maguire after the Rod Tidwell thing where, uh, you know, Tom Cruise says to Glenn Fry of the Eagles, who was playing the GM, uh, you know, it's going to cost you. And he's like, I know like, yeah. that would be a, that would be a good thing if Josh Jacobs, like, you know, got no to the end zone, like for the 20th time, it was like, you know, I'm all, I'm all for his success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so um, you went to Denver with Josh. Uh, Josh was there, I think a year earlier yep. uh, back in 2010. That's how you started uh, your scouting career, I believe. Correct. Um 
you know, that was a tough year for Josh. He didn't make it through the end. There was a lot going on organizationally. You know, Mr. Bullen was was sick at the time, which people yep. didn't really know publicly. Um, what what did you guys learn from from that experience? Yeah, we, and it was it was a whirlwind for me because, like you said, it was my first year uh, in the NFL. So I was just trying to figure out like my job and how to do it um, proficiently to keep it. Um, and so there was a lot of me just trying to figure it out. So there was all that other stuff going on. I wasn't as dialed into, to, to kind of like, you know, what it was and where it was going in terms of the season, because I was just, again, focused on just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do as a scouting assistant, not mess up an airport pickup, um, or, or something of that nature, <laughs> Yeah, major part of my job. Yeah. Right. So, Get, he said cream. Yeah, not exactly. sugar, cream. <laughs> exactly. So to, to be honest with you, I didn't gain as much perspective in the moment of like what was happening and and what it meant and what the lessons to be learned, you know, from that situation what was because I was I, I again, I, I had a different focus at the time. I think Josh has talked about it a lot with you and, and, and with me um, all sitting around together. Uh, at, at different times. I think the biggest thing that I know he took away from it was the relationship piece and, and how important um, just building the relationships within an organization is to sustain success and to create buy-in and things of that nature. And, and that was something like, again, people forget Josh was 32 years old. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of perspective that you don't have at 32, that you have at 46 years old, just, just naturally, I think we all do. And so that was one of the big takeaways that he had going there and coming here is just is focusing on the relationships. And he's been phenomenal in that regard. And I think you saw some of, uh, if you watched, um, there was a video after our game from the locker room and the response of the players and just, you, it's it's just that you saw a natural thing. You can see like there's buy in there. You can see that Josh cares about the players. You can see the characters, uh, excuse me, the, the players um, care about Josh and, 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 and you can, without being in the building every day, I think from that video, you can see like there's a relationship there. And, and that's a big thing that, that he's focused on. And um, he's helped me out in certain situations. You know, there's certain situations where um, I've wanted to do, you know, fly off the handle at something or someone. Um, and he's told me like, dude, relax, you know, like there's a different way. Like I approach that I've approached it, uh, in my time in Denver, a certain way. And I'm just going to tell you, you can do it. It's a really bad idea. You might want to think about it, doing it this way. And so, you know, he's, I think that's been the biggest, the biggest change. He's always been a brilliant football mind. Um, he's always understood offense, defense, special teams, the whole deal. And so that's that's the area that I think we've taken with us and tried to um, do a really good job here. Well, it's, it's interesting because that brings us to another one of your former bosses slash collaborators, Bill, who I used to be pretty close with, had a long run where, you know, we talked a lot, then we had a falling out. Uh, I, we And now we don't talk. But, um, you know, I kind of appreciate Bill as a multifaceted character. And yet... You know, Bill doesn't have time a lot of times for pleasantries in certain in certain situations. Uh, how did how did you guys? Because you're you're such a people person. How did the the relationship evolve with you guys, especially when you were the main personnel guy? And uh, did he ever just lose it on you? 
<laughs> um, well, yeah, I was there for a long time. And, and, and at the beginning, you know, I was um, a, a pro, uh, I was assistant director of pro scouting. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of other people that are, you know, I shouldn't say a lot. Bill's always had his core group of people at different times in his career. And, and, and you know, as assistant director of pro, I wasn't, you know, in that core. But, um, you know, I think the thing, um, I hope the thing that um, Bill would say, and, and I know that I felt it, is that our relationship is, I just tried to be as honest as possible. Um, whenever I was asked a question, whenever I was asked my opinion, um, I always just tried to give my opinion uh, off the work that I did and and not um and not try to give an answer that I thought someone wanted to hear and and I and and, and I hope that that you know is um that allowed me to build some respect within the organization and allowed me to uh you know advance and grow uh, in the in the organization you know it's funny with Bill like he I've never really saw Bill lose his cool um Bill is so subtle with just you know with with his persona um that he can he can put a dagger he can throw a dagger at you without even raising his voice and what i mean by that is that um for me like i have such a and i think a lot of people feel that this way he's accomplished so much in this business um and he's he's like just you know ungodly success that the level of respect that i have for bill and a lot of ha people have for bill that work with him is through the roof you know it's just just because of what he's done and just seeing him how he works every day how he manages the building how he manages the team all the knowledge that he have i just never wanted to disappoint bill you know it was almost like a parent you know you don't want to disappoint your dad or if your dad says your parent says to you like hey I'm, that's disappointing it's that's the dagger Right. And that's kind of how I always felt with Bill was I just did not want to disappoint Bill. I would read an email three times before I sent it to Bill because I didn't want to, there to be a word misspelled, you know? And, and so I can remember um, I did have an advanced scouter report at one time that as a pro scout, you produce for um, you produce for the next opponent. And he called me in and said, Hey, um, you know, where's so-and-so like, uh, where's so-and-so scouting report here. And, um, I, for some reason there was an oversight. I didn't have one of the players on the team scouting report in the scouting report that I had passed out to the staff. And, and it was as simple as saying like, come on, can we just get this right? That, that, that's all it takes. You know, he doesn't need to raise his voice. That right there was like, you know, um, I was in the tank for a couple days, you know, just after <laughs> that subtle comment. So, that that's really what the you know the relationship is and and um you know I'm very um fortunate to be able to um have an opportunity to advance to get closer to him to um have more you know specific football conversations at the end of my career and and I can tell you the opportunity that I had the last year I was in New England um really set me up to be able to um go into a, an interview for a job like this and be prepared for it um, by just being around him and seeing how he operates, seeing how he thinks, um, seeing that what he what he demands in terms of attention to detail and things like that. And it was, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be here. Uh, I wouldn't be have the job that I have today if it wasn't for working with for Bill. That's a very small draft room. I don't know if people realize uh, what year did you finally get inside the draft room yeah. during the draft? A good question. I think it what it took a couple years. I, it might have been like my fourth or fifth year um, before I, I I got in. And, and my first my job my job at that time was to do. I was in charge of knowing the needs of all the other teams, and um, 
you never knew when, um, and it didn't happen often, but it could happen at any time where all of a sudden Bill would say, hey, you know, okay, Tampa's on the clock. Uh, hey, Dave, who do you think they're going to be taking here? And you have to have an answer. And I know the first time he ever asked me that question, I think the response was a lot of like mumbling and uh, like, um, um, you know, trying to find my way because it caught me off guard. And uh, to come up with a response after that, though, every year, I was utterly, I was, I was, in, you know, very prepared in, in detail for any of those types of questions. Um, yeah, but it took a while. And then I'd say when I got in, it was, you know, minor involvement. Um, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't, I didn't speak unless I was spoken to. And, um, but it was cool to be able to just to sit back and see how it all comes together and really watch him and Nick work, you know, for the most part um, during those times. I would argue that of all the gangster things that he has done, the dog sitting up on the, you know, <laughs> in the chair with the laptop during the virtual draft uh, in that tuck, it might be the greatest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was yeah, so yeah, good. Nike was making picks that, that evening. <laughs> I mean, like, to, then you're just, you know, because it's Bill, you go, did Bill train the dog to just sit there <laughs> chilling like he might be making the picks? And, you know, they, it was just a cutaway, too. So, like, I think it said Bill Belichick yeah, right. on, on the screen. That, that was awesome. Now you are adjusting to Mark Davis, a new owner for you. Um, you know, he's a guy who obviously lives it and breathes it and, and wears his emotion on his sleeve. Um, do you, you know... What's it like after a, a rough loss after a game? Is he, you know, is he kind of emotional because he cares so much or is he more analytical? What are those conversations like? I would say a lot of passion. Like, you know, Mark, he 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 does. The Raiders are are so important to him and his family. And it's not just the Raiders, it's like the alumni are super important to Mark. Um, Raider Nation is super important to Mark. And so um, you know, Mark, um, you know, he, you know, he wants to win every game. And, and so, and Mark also has a lot, you know, Mark has a football background too. I mean, he's been around a lot of football. He's been around, you know, his dad. And so it's not that Mark doesn't Mark, uh, you know, he knows about game management situations and, you know, how things played out or how he thought, you know, how he thinks they should play out and things of that nature, how to handle timeouts and, um, how, you know, who's on the field. And so um, he has, um, you know, he has a football acumen to himself. And so it's not like he's coming out of left field with what, you know, what his thoughts and emotions are after a game. Um, but um, there is emotion there. Um, there is passion there. And um, I mean, I love it. You know, I, I mean, obviously I, I would rather have been on the opposite side of a lot of the games that we've been on this year. Um, and so, um, you know, that it is what it is, but I think it's, 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 I, I feel I get energized working for someone that has those high standards and it has that passion. Um, and, and because it shows that they care, you know, and they want to win. And so, um, yeah, you know, it could lead to some uncomfortable conversations when you're not winning. Um, but you know, that he's, you know, you know, that, um, you know, that he, he wants to win. And I think that's the most important thing. And, um, he's a, Mark's are just a great human being. Like if you haven't met Mark Davis, Mark Davis is just a great person. Um, and he's, he treats people with respect. He could go into any, he could go into any restaurant, any bar across America 
and and fit right in. And I mean that in like, he's a very humble person. You know what I mean? He holds himself and, and um, he doesn't hold himself above other people and he doesn't treat people that like they're less than him. And I really respect, it's hard not to respect and just want to fight and want to do every, everything you can for a person like that. Well, you are not only the first GM we've had, but I think we're coming up on the time record. So I'm going to leave you with one more because you've been amazing. Um, You know, there was a report that uh, the Packers tried to trade for Darren Waller before the trade deadline. And I know GMs have a million speculative conversations that may or may not be, you know, real or close. Um, Did you get any uh, wild, like, you know, you know, overtures before the trade deadline with teams trying to be like, hey, this is a first-time GM. Maybe he'll trade me someone good for not that much. Um, there was a couple uh, – It's gonna, this going to be like the Sopranos episode. You're not going to know, like, the ending, <laughs> right? Uh, but there was a couple – there was a couple, um, I would say, wild, you know, wild trade offers that were – um, I wouldn't say like taking advantage, like they weren't for, for, um, you know, for peanuts or anything like that. Um, but just some things that were, yeah, a little bit out there, um, uh, pretty aggressive thoughts and things of that nature, which, you know, I respect, um, and that happens every year. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it just, they, they never come out into the media and, I, and neither will these either. Um, but yeah, there was some, there was, uh, some people that were testing the waters of how far, uh, how far I would go. I love it. Um, they moved the trade deadline back finally a few years ago um, to maybe you know get more in the line and more in line with the mentality of the new guard of GMs like you guys who aren't so trade averse. Would you like to see it moved further into the season? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just in the in, from this point alone, they extended the season a week. So the, the season goes a week later, but they still haven't moved the, tra- the trade deadline didn't even move back a week later. So at the very least, I think moving it back a week, um, you know, would would um, line up with how the, you know, again, the, the how they have extended the season. Um, but I think, yeah, I would like to see it move back. I think like you, you would have a better I- teams would have a better idea of where they are, you know, in terms of where the season's at. Um, and, and I think it would be, it would probably be a little bit more, um, maybe give even more excitement to the league because there would be more opportunities where teams would know where they're at. There would be more buyers or or more sellers and, and potentially more buyers that would elicit more activity, which I know is exciting for fans and things of that nature. But, um, just from a football perspective, I think it, it would allow, um, teams to have a better idea of where they're at. Um, and, and that would facilitate, I think, you know, um, you know, better, you'd be able to make some more educated decisions about your team that would help in the, in the you know, either the building or the rebuilding of your team, whatever, which whichever way it goes. So yeah, I'd be a proponent of that. We agree on that. Um, sadly, we will not publicly get the revelation of what was dangled. It's kind of like a born identity uh, <laughs> vibe, which you know no well. Doubt. No doubt. Days. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It was awesome. I appreciate you, buddy. Have a good day. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, 
<laughs> love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.